0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love So a few weeks ago, we, uh, we began our walk through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is found in three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is calling us to a whole new way of life as his followers. And so today we're gonna finish up chapter five by talking about the fact that Jesus has called us to be a people of radical love. A people of radical love. That's part of the new way of, of life that we have been called to in Christ. And so let's look this morning at Matthew chapter five and we're gonna read from verse 31 through the end of chapter five this morning. A people of, of radical love. That's who we are called to be in, in, in Christ. That's, that's how we, we shine out in the world. Philippians 2.15 says we are to, to shine like like stars in the, the universe, against the, the blackness of of, of night. We, we shine out. We are dis- to be a distinctive people, and one of the ways that we are to stand out is in the quality of our, our love. We're not to love like the world loves, but we're to be a people of, of radical love. And that's what Jesus calls us to here, Matthew 5 and beginning with verse 31. Let's stand together as we look at God's word. Matthew 5, and beginning with verse 31, Jesus says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but yet let your yes mean yes. And you're no, mean, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Two. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You can be seated. Father as we come to this challenging text remind us that you transform hearts that that you are able to do that through the power of the the Holy Spirit Lord Lord, we we know that we are we are incapable of of loving with the radical love that you call us to We, we know that we cannot carry out these things on our own. That it is only in the power of your spirit. It's only by having new hearts, transformed hearts, that this is possible. And so, Lord, we ask you to do a work on our, our heart. We can be just like the people that Jesus was talking to on the mountainside, that day in the first century. We can get preoccupied with just externals, just checking off the blocks, being one way on the outside and another way on the inside. We pray that you would make us whole, that you would give us undivided hearts, that you would make us, give us completeness so that the inside matches the outside because you are doing a work on our hearts. We we pray that you would make us a people of radical love, even as we have been loved radically and amazingly in Christ when we were still sinners. Help us to love people with a gospel kind of love because we have been on the receiving end of the love that you have shown us in the gospel. It's the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Well, I was on some long flights this week, and uh, this, with the story that I'm getting ready to tell did not happen to me. It is made up. But Im- imagine if it happened to, to you. Imagine that you are on a, a long plane flight, and you're trying to get settled in, and they're, they're beh- sitting right behind you. There's a mom and three kids, and the kids are out of control. And just as you are kind of settling in and you're you're trying to go to sleep, uh, there's a toddler that just kind of begins to scream in your ear, and there's a you know a, a three or, or four year old that's kicking the back of your seat. And then there's maybe there's another kid, maybe, maybe five or, or six, and and this little guy is just he's 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 all over the place. And and he and at one point he he reaches up to to grab the back of the seat in front of him. That that would be your seat. And in the process of doing that, his his finger just kind of bumps up against the side of your head. And you, and you turn around, and with all the restraint that you can muster, you, you look at this mom, and your look is like saying, what are you doing? Like, can you not kind of like take control of your children? And she looks back at you like she is in a daze, like she's, she's just coming out of a trance, and she says, oh, I am so sorry, she, my... Uh, we were on vacation, and my husband, their, their father, passed away suddenly, and we're, we're on our way home, and they don't know how to process this, and I, I, I'm I, just out of it. i right, think about that moment. Think about the change that just happened, because you go from being annoyed to saying, what? Your, your husband just passed away? I'm so sorry. What can what can I do right now to help you? And you invite one of the little kids to come up and sit with you and play video games for the remainder of the flight and just try to do what you can to to help out in this situation. Now that's a paradigm shift. When you're thinking one way about a situation and something happens that causes you to suddenly think in a totally different way about what you're perceiving. So Jesus, in, in Matthew 5, has been taking the people on this hillside through a, a paradigm shift in the way that they viewed God's law, because they have been used to thinking of the law of God as sort of a bunch of, a bunch of rules that they, that they had to obey. And whenever we begin to think like that, we inevitably focus on, on externals. And what Jesus has been doing is taking them through a paradigm shift where they begin to understand that God is concerned with our hearts, not just with the outside, but the inside. And so last week, as we began this section, we, we, we saw that Jesus addresses, uh, first of all, the, the topic of, of murder. He says, you've, you've heard it said, you know, do not murder, but I say to you, You know, your heart should not be filled with hatred. That's where murder comes from. He says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, you should be concerned with lust in your hearts, because that's where adultery comes from. So today in these verses, he's taking us through four more scenarios. Where he's, he's taking us to the heart, the, the heart intention of the law of God. So let's look at the four topics that he addresses here in these verses. First of all, in verses 31 and 32, we see what Jesus has to say about marriage. Verse 31 It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. And why is Jesus suddenly talking about divorce here? Well, he's not suddenly talking about it. This emerges out of what he says in verses 27 through 30 about lust and adultery. And so you remember last week we looked at those verses and and, and Jesus was saying there, look, the Ten Commandments say do not commit adultery, but God is concerned with, with more than just abstaining from the physical act of adultery. What if you abstain from the act of adultery but your heart is a cesspool of lust? Is that okay with God? Well, it's not okay with God. But what was happening is that not only were a lot of these guys having hearts that were filled with with lust, but a lot of them were ditching their wives for the other women that they were lusting after. And so that's why he begins to talk about divorce here in verse 31. And he says, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. Now, this comes from the 24th chapter of Deuteronomy god 's design for marriage from the very beginning from Genesis one and two god 's design for marriage was that it was to be a, a, a covenant commitment between husband and wife that it was to be a permanent that it was only to be broken by the event of death, but after sin enters the world in Genesis 3, and there's a fallen world, by the time that God gives his, his law, God knew that in a fallen, sinful world, that there were going to be some circumstances in which divorce was the least worst option. And so that's why it's in the law in Deuteronomy 24. But here's what was happening. God put uh, the possibility of divorce into the law, you know, to, to cover like the most extraordinary circumstances. But what was happening is that in addition to the written law, what's actually in the Bible, there was something called a Mishnah which was the oral law. And this was sort of like the commentary of different rabbis on on interpreting what was actually in the Bible. And and the problem is that this oral law had had become to be like on a par with, with actual scripture, with actually with God's word. So in the Mishnah, in the oral law, um, there were you know there were some rabbis who were actually saying that, you know, and, and, and bear in mind this is a culture at this point where everything the power is very patriarchal. The power is tilted toward men in, in, in every way. And so some, some of these things in the, in the Mishnah, they were actually giving permission to these guys to, 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 to ditch their wives for basically any frivolous reason that they chose. You know, if she uh, burned his dinner, for instance, I mean, that was really in there. You know, they could just dis- discard their, discard their wives. But they could say, they were saying, hey, well, I gave her a written notice of divorce. I'm still covered by the, I'm still living by the the, the law. Well, this was ridiculous. This was an abuse of, of what God's intention was in his law. And so what does Jesus say in verse 32? But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, um, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So what Jesus says here, he's bringing it back to the intention of God. The intention of God in, in, in permitting divorce in Genesis 24, it was for situations like sexual immorality, you know, where there's, there's un, unrepentant adultery, or a, a situation where there's uh, desertion, 1 Corinthians 7, Talks about that, where you know one spouse deserts uh, the other. Certainly, uh, biblical principles would would support the fact that n- no one should be living in uh, a situation where there's 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 abuse that's going on. That's not a situation in which God would want one of His children to to, to live. So divorce was it was for those kinds of of situations, not sort of you know uh, flippant reasons. The the way that many of these men were 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 using it. Now, at the end of the passage here, when Jesus talks about uh, about uh, about the, the issue of, of adultery, he is not saying here. That, the, that, for instance, the woman who has been sinned against is prevented from remarrying. That's not what this means. 1 Corinthians 7 makes it very clear that someone who's divorced on biblical grounds is free to remarry with the blessing of God. What Jesus is saying here is that this man's sin has put this woman in a situation that she never would have chosen, And it is created, it just creates a sad situation all the way around. And so, kind of putting this together, if you're married, or if you're single and you're contemplating marriage, you need to understand what marriage is about. There's actually another situation later on in Matthew where Jesus is asked this, essentially the same question. So it was an issue in that culture. And let's see what he says. Matthew chapter 19 and beginning with verse 3. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? There it is again, right? That's what, that's what was happening. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so, if you're married, or if you're thinking about marriage, understand, marriage is a it's a covenant commitment to one another. Um, and when we think about two sinners trying to do life together, which is what a, what a marriage is, there's, there are going to be challenges with that. There are going to be some hard times with that. There are going to be times when it brings you to your knees, and you both have to humble yourself before the Lord, and before one another. You may need somebody from an outside person, a third party, to to help you through some difficult times, but dig in there. Dig in there, hang in there. If you are divorced, we often hear, and it's true, God hates divorce. It's It's not part of his design. But sometimes what people don't hear enough in church is that God loves divorced people. And we are all here this morning uh, as, as, as sinners who are loved and accepted by God, not on the basis of our very imperfect performance in life, but on the basis of the perfect performance of Jesus for us on the cross we have been made new in him right there's a new beginning in christ right and so jesus speaks here though about just the, uh, the 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 seriousness of what marriage is is all about so jesus on marriage second jesus on honesty honesty let's check out what he says in verse 33 again You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. So what he's talking about here is very common in this culture that when people were trying to emphasize that they were telling the truth, that they would sort of make this oath and they would, they would ask God to judge them if they were not telling the truth. It would almost be like a lot of times in our world today, what we'll, 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 we'll say or we'll hear people say, with God as my witness... You know what i 'm getting ready to say is true, right in other words if if i 'm lying to you, may the judgment of God fall fall upon me. It was that kind of of a, of a thing but but again, they were playing games with this because what was happening was that um, people would would kind of they would again and this comes from the Mishnah this is in the oral the oral law, where they would make distinctions between certain words in Oaths. And, and, and so, for instance, like if you were to swear um, by Jerusalem, well, then you could, that wasn't quite binding. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, uh, that you were bound by your oath. Basically, it had become a game, it, it had become a sophisticated way to lie. That's what it was. And so, Jesus is saying here, Quit playing games and simply be people who tell the truth. The simple, plain truth. In, other, in, other, in fact, you shouldn't even have to swear by anything. You should be such a person of integrity that you that your yes means yes and your no means no verse 37 let your yes mean yes and your no mean no anything more than this is from the evil one listen if people if you make statements and people have to parse your words that's a problem that's a problem if, if, if people have to, if, if people have to say, what is, what, what is, what is, what is he not saying, or what does she really mean? That's not good. <laughs> Be a person of such integrity that you just speak plain truth. And you don't have to swear by anything or take an oath or whatever. Like, just be a person of simple integrity. By the way, this verse does not forbid you taking an oath in court. There have been people who interpreted it that way. That's that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in relationships. Be a person of integrity. Just a person who speaks the plain truth in love. That's what it means. Third, Jesus and non-retaliation. Jesus and non-retaliation. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now you might have heard that expression. It's often abused in the same way today as it was in the first century. (laughs) It's found in Exodus and Leviticus and and Deuteronomy as, as, as part of the law, but the intention of that phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for, the, for a tooth, the intention of that in the law was to prevent uh, overly severe punishments. It was to prevent people kind of going off on their own and, and taking their own vigilante justice. And, and because it was sort of part, of part of their national law, one of the things that God was trying to do in, in his law was to, to create a society where, uh, where the law was equitable. In other words, where the, the punishment would actually fit the crime. But, here again... This was being abused because what was happening is that people were looking at that phrase and they were using it as a justification to get back at others, to take their own uh, vengeance and their own uh, retaliation against other people. And so they were looking at this phrase, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and then they were asking, hey, how far can I go in getting back at them? And still be considered technically under the law. (laughs) That was not the design of God for this. And so what Jesus is doing here, he is calling his people, us, to a totally different thing. He's saying that for us, the question that we should ask is never, how far can I go in getting back at them? For us, We become a people who break the entire cycle of retaliation against others. He says in verse 39 But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, the word resist here means uh, retaliate. So Jesus is saying, don't retaliate. Against an evildoer. Let's look at Romans 12 and verses 19 and following. Romans chapter 12. Paul says here, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink, for in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. In other words, these are—that was an expression that meant sort of um, to kill them with kindness, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to 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 make them ashamed of their behavior because you're you're treating them with with, with love. Jesus says in verse twenty-one. Uh, Paul says in verse twenty-one. Do not be Conquered by evil, but, but conquer evil with good. In other words, instead of descending into the darkness in and the cycle of retaliation and non retaliation and, 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 and getting back and getting back and on and on and on it goes, break the cycle completely. Instead of being overcome by the darkness, overcome by the evil, overcome the evil with good. By doing something radical and loving your enemies. Why do we feel the need to retaliate against people anyway? Why why do we want to do that? Well, it's because we we feel like, you know what, that's what they deserve. That's what they deserve. They've got it coming to them, and so, you know, it's it's up to to me to do that, right? Justice has got to be done. That's a failure to trust God. That's playing God. (laughs) What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, look, what we should really desire, if people mistreat us, what we should really desire as believers is their repentance, we should desire for them to, to repent, to turn to God, to have their heart changed. That's what we desire, right? But if that doesn't happen, God's gonna deal with them. That's God's role. That's not your role. We don't have the right to play God. We, we trust God to be God, right? So, retaliation's not something that we ever have to worry about. Now, again... Some people have taken uh, this, these verses and they have tried to apply it on sort of a, um, a, a, a scale, that, a civil scale where I, that I don't think is appropriate. For instance, people have looked at these verses and said, well, you know what, we should not have a military. We should, not, we should not ever, Christians should never participate in the military. We should never, we should never uh, you know, kind of use any kind of lethal force against other uh, people and that kind of thing. That's just not for people who follow Christ. I don't think that's what is being said here. In fact, um, what Paul says at the end of Romans 12 is followed almost immediately by what he says at the beginning of Romans 13, where he says that essentially in a fallen world like ours, that we have to have those who bear the sword, that we must have a military that we must have uh, you know police who 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 bear arms why because in a world like ours where where violent people would prey on others would prey on innocent people there there have to be those who are in, who, who who bear the sword on the evil doer to, to and that's to prevent uh, innocent people for, you know from from being attacked and murdered etc. Okay. And so Paul says there in Romans thirteen that those who bear the sword that way in those kinds of ways are actually serving God. They are servants of God for our good. So I, I believe that the Bible was very clear that believers have the, the right to participate uh, in the military and as 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 police officers, etc. In fact that they are serving God as they do that. But on a personal level In relationships, we are to turn the other cheek. We are not to seek retaliation against other people. That's one of the things that marks us as as different, as different from the world, is is the ethic of, of non retaliation. Verse 41 Jesus says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him. This is where we get the phrase, the the, the second mile. But in the original context, what was happening here is that Israel was under military occupation. And so there were Roman soldiers everywhere. And one of the things that the Roman soldiers could do is that they could just suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, arbitrarily just command somebody on the road. Some uh, Jewish person walking down the road in Israel. One of these Roman soldiers could immediately say, hey, carry my gear. And they would have to do it. And it was humiliating for them to do. They hated that. Jesus is saying, if that happens to you, you got a soldier who says, hey, carry my stuff. He says, don't just go with him a mile. That was what they were obligated to do. Jesus says, go go with him two miles. And maybe this pagan soldier might begin to ask questions about the God that you worship. Because he sees something different about you verse 42 Jesus says give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to to borrow from you now obviously this is to be this has to be done with with discernment you don't want to just sort of give cash to somebody who has like a substance abuse problem or something like that that's not that's not a loving way to treat them because that money is just going to be used for alcohol or drugs or whatever. So we have to be discerning in, in the way that we give to people. But Jesus is saying here that if, if you are a believer, your heart should be that you want to help. Your heart should be, that I desire to help those who are helpless. Why? Because we were helped when we were helpless. Because we were loved when we were utterly in sin and helpless. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Paul says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did we deserve help? No, but Christ died for us. He died for us when we were undeserving. He died for us when we were helpless. And so therefore, the heart of a genuine believer is that you desire to help, to give. Fourth, Jesus and active love. Not only does he call us to non-retaliation, he calls us to active love, even of our enemies. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, where does that come from? Well, the the phrase love your neighbor, that's all over the Old Testament, right? We we all know that. Where did they get the phrase hate your enemy? Where is that in the Old Testament? That's nowhere in the Old Testament. (laughs) They made that up. (laughs) And here's, here's what they did. Again, this is how, this is how people can, can be with God's word. Here's what they did. The phrase, love your neighbor, right? That's all in the Old Testament. But what they did was, they said, okay, so God says, love your neighbor. But who's my neighbor? Suppose somebody's not my neighbor, well, we don't have to love them. In fact, we can hate them. That's where the phrase, (laughs) hate your neighbor, comes from. So, what does Jesus have to, Jesus has to address this. There's another famous circumstance in the Gospels where he's asked about this very thing. How does he answer? With one of the most famous parables, Luke chapter 10 and verses 29 and following. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, by the way, Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. Okay. So when they heard the word Samaritan, ah, this is my enemy. But when a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to, the, to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now Jesus says, which of these three, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So according to Jesus, our neighbors are who? Whoever is in need, right? It's not just people who look like us or talk like us. It's not just people who, are kind of, who are, we, are, we are disposed to like, our own kind. No, our, your neighbor is, is anybody in this world who is in, 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 in need. Well, that's a game changer, right? In fact, what should mark believers is that we love people who are not like us. It is natural for human beings to love their own kind. That's not distinctive. The new way of life that Jesus calls us to as his followers is that we love people who are different and that we love people who are even thought of as enemies. Verses 44 and 45. Jesus says, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. When we love people who are not our own kind, but who are even considered to be our natural enemies, then we look like God because he loved us when we were his enemies. That's the gospel. Verses 46 and 47, Jesus says, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. In other words, unbelievers, two people who are totally irreligious, love their own kind. They love people who love them. That kind of love doesn't stand out. Jesus says, what stands out about my true followers is that they will love those who do not love them. They will love those who are different from them. They will love those who are considered to be natural enemies. You know, I think about in a post 9-11 world, Sometimes some of us, maybe, maybe even, maybe we've never verbalized it, but, but maybe subtly we've thought of maybe Muslim people, for instance, as being, our, being Samaritans. See, the Jews thought of Samaritans as just people who were against them, and there was just this long history of, of animosity. That's, what, that's what's behind the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. They thought of the Samaritans as the, ba- the bad guys. In a post-9/11 world, sometimes we, we think of Muslim people uh, that way. That you know the, these these people are just you know they're 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 against us. They're 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 different. And even if we never verbalize it, sometimes subtly in our hearts we can begin to think that. Scott McKnight is a New Testament professor at. Um, in Chicago, and, and uh, he tells about when he was, he was teaching, actually at a college at one point, and, and teaching an undergraduate course, and he, he writes something called, She Sat in the Back Right Corner. She sat in the back right corner of my class. Her name was Museret. I was unsure what to think if I tell the truth. She wore the hijab to, every day to class. She rarely spoke in class and then only if asked. And what she had to say was intelligent and informed. About midway through the Jesus of Nazareth class, I gave a long test on the facts of the Gospels, and her score was the highest in the class. On another assignment on the theme of conversion in the Gospels, she wrote an exceptional paper. She then wrote one of the finest papers I ever got at the college on Jesus' own self-perception. We had barely spoken beyond the customary good mornings and hellos. So I asked her one time at the doorway as she left class if she could come by my office to chat, but only if she wanted to. I told her I wanted to get to know her. I was concerned I was concerned she might see this as marking her out as someone different, but she smiled back at me and said, "I'd love to. I have so many questions." Moussarette came to, into my office before class one day, and after I stumbled out a few words, she said, I'm a believer. My family doesn't know it. When I'm home, I love to hide in my bedroom and read the Bible. When my parents ask me what I'm reading, I tell them assignments for class. But I want you to know that, that I love Jesus. I pray at the mosque to the God of Jesus. And while I look like a Muslim, I'm a follower of Jesus. The conversation did not go in the direction I anticipated. I was a bit stunned. So we talked for 30 minutes about the Bible, about questions she had about the Christian faith, how to explain the Trinity. And then she and I walked a class together. I would not have known this about her had I not asked her to come into my office. After class one day, when she was the last to leave, I asked her why she hid out to read the Bible. She said, if my mother or father find out I'm a follower of Jesus, they'll send me to the Middle East to marry a true Muslim man, and I'll never see America again. My mom told me that last week. We find out all kinds of things about people when we get to know them, when we reach out to them, when we get beyond the, the preconceptions And the biases and the barriers that we've built up in our own mind, when we actually reach out to people in love, people who are different, we we find out all kinds of things. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. You've got to reach out. Verse 48. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is, is perfect. This kind of just ties, ties together everything that he's been talking about. Now, the, what throws us here is the word perfect, right? <laughs> well, the, the Greek word that's translated here is perfect. perfect. Perfect the way that we think of perfect in our culture is kind of not what this word is, means. It's the word teleos, and the real meaning of it is completeness. Complete, it means complete, undivided, whole. That's, that's the meaning of this word. Now think about it. What has Jesus been doing really throughout Matthew 5? He's been talking to people who were, who were not whole, He's been talking about the fact that we can be divided, that we can be one person on the outside and another person on the inside. That our externals can be one way and our internals can be something entirely different. Jesus is saying, my people are are not to be kind of divided up like that, right? We're to be complete, whole undivided. And see, that takes us again to the heart. Now, how can that happen? How can these things match up? How how can we be transformed from the inside out? How can we be delivered from people who are just kind of about appearances and externals and who have hearts that are actually being transformed? That cannot happen on our own. That only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we only get that when we turn to Jesus and we trust him and we walk with him. Let's pray together. Jesus invites us into this new way of life. Jesus invites us into the the life of, of heart obedience so that you're not you're not kind of divided up so that you're not just putting on appearances. You're not just sort of checking off blocks. You're not just sort of living by a, a bunch of external rules. He invites you to experience a new life, to be a new person, to have a heart that is transformed. He invites you to that today. Jesus has turned to me. Turn to me, trust, trust in what I've done for you, trust in the cross, trust in what I've done for you in the resurrection, that because I live, you can live, that because I live, life can begin again for you, that you can literally be born again. Turn to him and trust him. Father, we thank you for the new way of life that you provide for us in in Christ. Father, may we step into this morning that open door that you have provided into the new life that Christ invites us to. And we pray it in his name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. At FBCSuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.